Hi, I'm Liz Winstead. I'm Mojiella Wodeal. And we're the hosts of Feminist Buzzkills, the only weekly podcast that helps you navigate the post-row hellscape. We dissect all the news from that sketchy intersection of abortion and misogyny with our guests, the abortion providers and activists working on the ground. Plus, we have amazing comedians to help us laugh through the rage. Feminist Buzzkills drops Fridays wherever you get your pod fix. Listen and subscribe, because when BS is popping, we pop off. Hey, it's Kimberly, host of the Start Me Up podcast. If you like your politics with some loose talk and salty language, you're going to love my show. I interview the coolest people like Mary Trump, Kathy Griffin, and DNC chair Jamie Harrison. The Start Me Up podcast has an easygoing, casual style and a strong emphasis on left-leaning politics. We also have frank discussions about sex and more than a few spirited rants. Just visit patreon.com slash startmeup or wherever you get your podcasts and start listening today. Thanks to Rothy's for supporting Muller, she wrote. Are you ready to try on the most comfortable flat you've ever worn that you can wear all day, every day, for any occasion? Seriously, you're never going to want to take them off. Get yourself a pair today with free shipping. Go to rothys.com and use promo code AG. Get this deal while it lasts. And thanks to Buffy for supporting Muller, she wrote. For $20 off your Buffy comforter, visit buffy.com and enter promo code AG. Finally, thanks to Billy for supporting Muller, she wrote. Introducing Billy, delivering premium razors direct to you for half the price of what you'd find in the store. And now, through March 31st, you'll get a special offer at mybilly.com slash ag. But only until March 31st, so go to mybilly.com slash ag right now. That's m-y-b-i-l-l-i-e dot com slash ag. You'll be glad you did. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That's what he said. That's what I said. That's obviously what our position is. I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I did not have communications with the Russians. What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. Hello, and welcome to Muller She Wrote. I'm your host, A.G. With me, as always, is Jaleesa Johnson. Hello. And Jordan Coburn. Hello. A great big thank you to all our patrons for your support this week. We are nearly at 6,000 in our community, and you're the most incredible people in the universe. Thank you for the gifts. We get beans from Rancho Gordo. You guys send us coffee beans, cards, notes, a needlepoint. We got a needlepoint. We got hand-blown and hand-etched wine glasses, coasters, um... GIFs. You guys make us GIFs and video clips. Customized Jones Soda, which was awesome. Handmade pins. Pennants. Somebody sent us a Muller pennant. Candles. You guys are so beyond amazing. We have a we have a whole weird shrine. People think I'm strange when they see our collection <laughs> of stuff. Um, we're super close to being able to put out our daily news show called Daily Beans. And patrons of Muller She Wrote will automatically be patrons of the new show. So Muller She Wrote patrons, you get all the bonus episodes, all of them. It's not pay per episode. You have unlimited access and you get the book club, newsletter, free gifts, pre-sale and VIP tickets for our live events, uh, super secret messages, 
Um, access to the Facebook group, Fantasy Indictment League, midweek full-length episodes, all of that for $3 a month. It's not pay-per. So thank you so much for for being there because not only have we created this awesome uh, thing with you guys and the support, but the community is really exceptional, mm-hmm. very supportive. Uh, we have live shows coming up. MSW Live is coming soon. Pro- maybe near you? Probably not yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> we have, well, odds are. Um, but we are going to be at the Miracle Theater in D.C. on March 29th, and we'll be at the Bell House in Brooklyn um, on March 30th. Those tickets are almost gone, so get them. And then April 18th at Largo, and mm-hmm. those are also almost gone, so hurry up and grab those. And I think Elizabeth Cronice McLaughlin is joining us for that show. And then in D.C., we've got Natasha Bertrand and Katie Fang. Yay. So I'm super excited about that. Yay, women in media. Uh, let's see. We have some corrections. from. Oh, Minneapolis show is coming up. I don't have the details yet, but we're coming, I think to the parkway but that's in the summer so stay tuned uh and we got some news two seconds ago uh this thing is far from over (laughs) so (laughs) we'll be around in june um we have some corrections from last week the gang of eight isn't the chairs and vice chairs of the judiciary and the intel committee the gang of eight is the speaker uh, of the house the senate majority leader the house and senate minority leaders and then the chairs and vice chairs of the intelligence committees the judiciary committee has nothing to do with it and i knew that and i don't know why i said it wrong but thanks to persistent voter on twitter for that information oh it makes sense that it came from them yep yep they're persistent <laughs> we we mentioned um the gang of eight when we were talking about mccabe in the midweek episode so we appreciate that and we're, we'll talk about that a little bit more when it comes up in this episode uh then regarding the upcoming presidential election uh, I've gotten a lot of feedback, negative and positive. I want to say, let's just focus on the platforms and the candidates, and let's not fall victim to the GOP and Russian hit pieces on Dem candidates, because 90%, at least, of the negative social media posts about candidates are from GOP operatives and Russians, okay? Don't fall for it. All the Dem candidates are pretty good people, so pick your horse, advocate for them, do it without tearing anyone else down, because trash politics is for assholes and Republicans. Uh, And I made a promise this week. I promised to ignore negative hit pieces against Dem candidates to include anyone running on the Dem ticket. I know Bernie is not a Democrat. Um, Do research. I'm going to do research to verify um, things using only credible sources. Okay, and then I'm going to focus on platforms and candidates, not GOP and Russian disinformation. And then I promise to vote for the winner of the Dem primary, no matter what. So hashtag Dem promises. (laughs) What are yours? Tag us at Mueller. She wrote hashtag Dem promises. So long story short. And to make a long story short, too late. Feel free to sell me on your candidate, but I will not suffer negative messages telling me why I should hate someone. I only want your arguments for somebody. And I, you should do that too, but you don't have to. I mean, obviously, it's a free country. Sort of. Um, now that that's out of the way. <laughs> sort of. Well, that's why we're having this election, to have that free country back. So now that that's all out of the way, I was really surprised last week when I found out we have a lot of 9 to 15-year-olds that listen to us. What? Yes. And I specifically wanted to give a shout-out to a young woman named Allie and her friend Emily. Uh, I believe they're in Maryland. Allie is a Girl Scout, and I just wanted to say thank you and hello, um, and thanks for listening. Allie, by the way, is a fantastic name. Uh, and not too many people know this, but I'm a Gold Award recipient. I spent a lot of years as a Girl Scout camp counselor uh, as a camp counselor. And um, Allie spends her summers as a peer counselor for kids who have autism. Um, I think she's 12. And she's inspired by her amazing brothers who have autism. And she also made her family go. She made her family go to D.C. and volunteer with Chef Andres and his organization during the government shutdown. And these these uh, 
young women come from active duty military families. So, Allie and Emily, thank you for your service to our country and keep being awesome. That's awesome. All right, lots of profound news this week. Jordan is going to cover a possible end run around double jeopardy laws in case Trump pardons Manafort. Uh, Jaleesa has a report on Wilbur Ross violating government ethics. No. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to take a trip down memory lane with you as we go over our past and present coverage of Trump working with Mohammed Bonesaw, that's the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, to build a nuclear bomb. Fun times. And we have constitutional law professor and former U.S. attorney Harry Littman. Uh, but before that, uh, let's get into the news with just the facts. All right, guys, all the way back to the beginning of the week, we learned that Cambridge Analytica director Brittany Kaiser, who worked with Aaron Banks, Brexit, and Leave EU has been subpoenaed by Mueller in the investigation into collusion between Trump and Russia. So not only is she cooperating fully, but she's also assisting uh, with other U.S. congressional and legal investigations into Cambridge Analytica. She is now the second person connected to Cam Anna, uh, Assange, and WikiLeaks, along with Sam Patton. And And those are the two people so far that have been contacted by Mueller. So keep an eye out for a cooperation agreement there. Maybe you want to draft her for a cooperation agreement. Then, of course, uh, Andrew McBabe, my boyfriend, came out, not out, but <laughs> he went out and made the rounds this week to promote his forthcoming book. Uh, for a detailed report on this, you can check out our midweek episode from last Wednesday. Um, Jordan takes a, a deeper dive into that. But the main takeaways here are that after the firing of James Comey, it was McCabe that opened the investigation into Trump. Uh, at the FBI. But what's important to understand here is that he didn't open a separate investigation into Trump for obstruction or a separate investigation into Trump for national security reasons or criminal activities. He actually just added Trump's name to the existing FBI investigation into Russia. And the obstruction piece was added as a counterintelligence piece, as collusion and conspiracy, not just obstruction as we think of it. Uh, If you recall, we've talked about obstruction being the collusion because firing Comey was a national security threat because it undermined the FBI's ability to investigate Russia. So in order to ensure that the investigation into Trump couldn't be killed, uh, he added Trump and obstruction to the existing Russia probe. So if anyone tried to fire all the FBI people who knew about it or tried to install people who would shut down that investigation, that person would have to shut down the Russia probe and an obstruction of justice investigation, making that person a potential accessory to the obstruction. (laughs) So it was really a brilliant move, and it guaranteed Rosenstein would have to appoint a special counsel, whether he's been on our side this whole time or not. He was kind of forced into it in that that respect. And anyone who says McCabe isn't a hero is just incorrect. Uh, I personally believe he was framed, uh, for a lack of a better term, uh, for that lack of candor that he was fired for. Uh, because he was investigating Trump and Sessions, along with the rest of the Comey Five. They were all fired, too, right? Weird. (laughs) But they couldn't kill the investigation because of the way he set it up. Another interesting thing McCabe said was when asked if he was investigating the Trump kids or Kushner before Mueller was appointed, he said he didn't feel comfortable talking about that because it's, it's an open and ongoing investigation. And then he corrected himself, saying, because it could be an open and ongoing investigation. Whoops. Uh, And then another biggie, Jordan, and you talked about this uh, in the midweek episode, McCabe briefed the Gang of Eight. He did, yeah. And what's important about that is that GOP members were present as we just, you know, went over and nothing was said. There was no sort of protest when he announced that to them. And that's something to note because then they came out after that and had all these issues with it, obviously. And it's like, well... What about when I was telling you, bros? Yeah. <laughs> bros, brosifs. Nunez, bro. 
Yeah, and that's the thing. Nunez isn't part of the Gang of Eight. Wait, no, really? he was. No, he. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's ha- Intel Committee, mm-hmm. and he was there. And um, apparently, McCabe told Natasha Bertrand that the White House quote immediately knew the steps I took after Jim got fired and the cases I opened because of Nunez. When I was surprised to see Nunez at the briefing, I knew it would happen very quickly. Mm-hmm. Unquote. So we're going to be reading his book. So stick around for those bonus episodes uh, if you're a patron. Um, what a, that's just crazy to that, me. Right, that they didn't say anything in the meeting? Or, yeah, that no yeah. one objected. Everyone was like, yeah, cool. Right. Make it happen. And he did. And then Trump fired him and all of his friends who had anything to do with it. Yeah. I wonder if it was a thing where he was like, was he announcing that he had already opened that investigation or added his name to the investigation? Or was he saying that he intended to? Yeah. I didn't catch that. Yeah, no, he was saying I... I I've already did, done it, right? Yeah, I, I put Trump in the subject line, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and, and his obstruction. Right. Because w- it's national intelligence. There's a national security issue. Yeah. I wonder if they were just sitting there like, well, I guess what's done is done. I'll go bitch about it later. <laughs> <laughs> Save us all some time here. <laughs> and then Nunez just gets up and runs. Yeah. In that <laughs> guys, <run>. guys. <laughs> <laughs> what a turd I know, they're all children uh, uh, We learned Monday, Rod Rosenstein's leaving the Department of Justice And this isn't surprising, guys Whenever a new attorney general comes in They usually bring their own de- deputy attorney general I wouldn't read into the leaving of Rosenstein uh, The appointment of Barr uh, And the anticipated end of the Mueller probe It's all probably coincidence So those are beans, space beans And I'll be talking with Harry Lippman in the interview later about the ways in which Mueller could wrap this thing up. So hang out for that and and our opinion on whether or not this thing is over. Oddly, though, uh, we learned this week that William Barr's son-in-law, not son, but son-in-law, is leaving the DOJ to work in the White House Counsel's Office. And Barr's oldest daughter is headed to work for the Treasury for the Financial Crimes Unit. Oh, go good. FinCEN. Yeah. So no nepotism there. Right. They could have at least done like... Parks and Rec or something. <laughs> it's probably not weird. I bet if we looked at some Obama administration stuff that, that some family members or some associates were given jobs from those who were in the cabinet. So. Yeah. It's just that's the very field that relates to what's being investigated <laughs> yeah, financial as Financial crimes? Yeah. It's like, really? That's where you want to go with the Treasury? The one that lifted sanctions on Oleg Deripaska? That's where you're going? Right. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, then Tuesday, uh, news came out about a plan to build nuclear reactors in Saudi Arabia. Oh, my gosh. We've never heard of this before. Uh, I'll be covering that in the hot notes. Uh, also Tuesday, a massive New York Times piece dropped, summing up all the ways Trump has obstructed justice. And since we've kept our own list over the last year and a half, much of this isn't new to you guys. So we won't bore you with those details with that kafefe of obstructions. Um, that's the collective noun for obstructions of justice we decided but there were a few things in there that were new to to us to me and then therefore us first of which is that trump asked matthew fucking whitaker to put berman in charge of the cohen investigation in the southern district of new york after he recused himself which one makes whitaker a liar in his congressional testimony and explains why they want him back to clarify his bullshit and two what's up with trump trying to get people to unrecuse themselves (laughs) that's his thing uh, he did that with Sessions, if you remember. Unrecuse yourself. It's not a thing, bro. Uh, and three, this seems like obstruction of justice, though it may not rise to the level of criminality needed to prosecute it. But there's a, certainly a pattern here. You know, throw it on the pile, like I like to say. Asking one guy to unrecuse himself to help you out, but two dudes? <laughs> uh, and speaking of the Southern District of New York, Trump uh, and Trump being pissed at Whitaker for the Cohen charges. Remember that? 
There's rumors swirling around now that the Southern District could indict Trump, ignoring the Department of Justice policy, saying a sitting president can't be indicted. And I'm hoping Barr is good enough friends with Mueller to allow that to happen, um, or at least whoever takes over that case. Maddow has been hinting uh, that she's got a special report. She had a special re- report coming up uh, about the Southern District of New York this week. So we were waiting patiently for that. And I have here that my dream, my justice porn, would be if prosecutors in the Southern District of New York come out and say, quote, we filed a sealed indictment against Trump to stop the clock on statute of limitations. It will drop the minute you leave office and you will go to jail or you can resign and forfeit your businesses and your foundation and shut up. Yes. That would be the beauty. And then not go to jail, though. Womp womp. Yeah. And so everyone was anticipating this Rachel thing. And she started out talking about Bush and Dukakis. And and everyone's like, what the fuck, Rachel? Is this going to be another one of your tax document things? And I'm like, no, no, no. I know where she's going because Bush is connected to Agnew. And Agnew was uh, took the deal for resigning instead of being indicted from the Southern District of New York, oddly. And then she had all these new papers about how he conspired with Saudi Arabia to get funding, anti-propaganda funding to fight the Jews. Okay, which is what Trump has done with Bezos. I mean, it's not fighting the Zionists, but he might see him that way. I don't know. Uh, He's pretty, pretty tapped into Israel, though. He likes Bibi a lot. Mm -hmm. And um, but that Netanyahu? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But that whole idea of using the Saudis for propaganda, which he did with AMI. And then it's it's like the parallels with Agnew or. And I'm like, here's where she's going. She's going to go to the Southern District of New York, indicting him. And she did. And she talked about uh, the she had on the guys who wrote the policy, Neil Katyal, for the special counsel, the one that says you can't indict a sitting president. And she talked about how that what that was based on is really shaky and nobody really knows for sure if you can indict a sitting president. It's not really clear in the Constitution. Harry Lippman and I talk about it a little bit later on in the show, so stick around for that. But that was a really interesting report. So Mm -hmm. we put beans on it. Beans came true. Uh, The other thing that was in this New York Times obstruction article was the mystery that surrounded the firing of Michael Flynn. We had thought that Trump waited 18 days and then fired him, either because he's a chicken shit or because Putin wasn't allowing Trump to fire him. And finally, he was forced out by someone with half a brain, like McMaster or something. Said, you got to fire this fucking guy. Sally Yates warned you. Obama warned you. Like, you've been warned. He's lied to the FBI. He's, he's compromised by Russia. Even if he's a good guy, he can't be a national security. He can't be in charge of national security uh, when you're compromised by Russia. As it turns out, Flynn seems to have resigned on his own. And the reason we know that is because some folks familiar with the matter say that after Flynn left... Trump and his advisors were sitting around trying to decide how to spin it to the public. And someone in the room said, hey, Paul Ryan told people that you forced him to resign. And Trump then told Sean Spicer, yeah, tell him that. That sounds better. Yeah, that's the ticket. So, wow, uh, Flynn must have been cooperating by then. Because we know from Mueller's filings, he cooperated early. And hard, a lot. Like, he really cooperated. So who knows how many of those 18 days Flynn was working for Mueller. I'd like to think all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, Wire, perhaps? Mm-hmm. He might have had a FISA mm-hmm. warrant out on him. People people talk about, you know, Rosenstein said he wore a wire. They might have gotten a FISA on Trump, you know, based on McCabe's adding that whole thing and the firing of Comey. He could have been under a FISA warrant. And mm-hmm. who knows? We'll see. And maybe that's why Trump's all FISA is... Ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you think about the things he attacks, he usually attacks them because they're after him. So, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, hey, you don't see him attacking McDonald's. No. That's for sure. No. 
And the funny thing that you mentioned that uh, there, another building in New York has voted to take Trump's name off. The residents have said we're voting to take Trump's name off the thing. And there's, I guess it's actually a true statistic that Trump will have fewer things named after him after he's president than any other president. <laughs> 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 Somebody was like, they're going to change the name of McDonald's to McBob's. Oh, my God. Oh, that's so funny. Is That's that's why he chooses McDonald's, because his name is in it, isn't it? It's got to be. Oh it's the Irish God. me. Oh, my God. So not only did Trump never fire Flynn, but get this, there was an internal White House memo, confidential memo, listing out all the lies they planned to tell us about why Flynn was gone. So it was a cover-up. And I love how they have to put together these lie memos so they can remember what they lied about to the American public. That memo could be exhibit number one in impeachment article number one for misleading the public. Uh, And I imagine the House Dems will subpoena that memo. If not, guys, do it. I know you listen. Um, And they might submit all. We need all your bullshit memos, all your lie memos. Just hand them over. Anyway, put some beans on it. It'll be interesting. This there's a lot left to investigate. Most definitely. I'm so glad that the House is run by Democrats right Mm -hmm. now. Uh, Then later Wednesday, things started heating up. We learned Cohen got his prison sentence postponed from March 9th to May 9th. Uh, This delay was granted for two reasons. First, his shoulder, his shoulder (laughs) surgery, uh, and his congressional testimony, right? Cohen has agreed uh, that during this delay, he's going to testify behind closed doors before the House and Senate Intelligence Committees on Tuesday and Thursday of this week, and he's going to testify before the House Oversight Committee publicly this Wednesday. Uh, where we'll all be calling in sick to work. (laughs) Um, And this is where Democrats plan to question him about Trump business practices. The chair of the Oversight Committee, Elijah Cummings, wrote a letter outlining everything they plan to address, which means that these are the things that he's going to be allowed to talk about. So here they are. First of all, the president's debts and payments relating to efforts to influence the 2016 election. Debts and payments. Interesting. Trump's compliance with financial disclosure requirements. Trump's compliance with campaign finance laws and tax laws. Trump's potential actual conflicts of interest, his business practices, his international hotel in D.C., the accuracy of Trump's public statements. How do you even testify to that? (laughs) Like, where do we start? We're going to be here for seven days. I know. Start with Sarah Sanders. Um, And then also Trump's fraudulent practices by the Trump Foundation. That's who, Jaleesa, I know you usually draft them for Mm -hmm. your... Fantasy Indictment League, and public efforts by the president and Giuliani to intimidate Mr. Cohen or others. Others? Okay. Mm. To testify, not to testify, I should say. And in other Cohen news, the New York Times reported Friday that Cohen met with Southern District prosecutors in Manhattan offering info about irregularities with the Trump organization uh, and about that $900,000 donation from Zuberi. He's the one person named in the Trump inaugural subpoena. And some weirdnesses surrounding in fraudulent insurance claims filed by the Trump Organization. Fraudulent insurance claims, okay. Um, though Cohen hasn't signed an official cooperation agreement, the help he's giving could reduce his sentence, and, and I think that's probably why he's doing it. Cohen's lawyer, Lanny Davis, in the Southern District of New York have declined to comment. Uh, if you'll remember, when the sentencing recommendations were filed in the Cohen case, Mueller went pretty easy on him. He's like, eh, give him whatever. Uh, but the Southern District was pissed Because he wasn't fully cooperating. Though it seems now, um, maybe he is. Because he'd gone in starting on Martin Luther King Day. Um, Because I remember we were all, aren't the offices closed and Cohen's there? That's Mm -hmm. weird. You remember that? But he was there. And apparently that's when he started spilling his guts. Hey, kid. I want you to spill your guts. Tell us everything. Everything. 
everything. Everything. Okay, I'll talk. <laughs> in third grade, I cheated on my history exam. In fourth grade, I stole my Uncle Max's toupee and I glued it on my face when I played Moses in my Hebrew school play. In fifth grade, I knocked my sister Edie down the stairs and I blamed it on the dog. Guys, I can't help but wonder uh, why he didn't offer up this information in the first place, unless he himself is implicated in the insurance fraud, or maybe his family is with the Trump org, uh, and now he's willing to talk about it, I guess. I assume we'll find out. Yeah, maybe they just didn't get to it. There's too much time taken up already by all the other things. <laughs> <laughs> he forgot. Like, There's I'll get there. So many crimes. Just wait, yeah. Oh, I, yeah, the insurance fraud claims. I completely forgot about Yes, that. yeah. In I wonder what the caverns of my crime mind. <laughs> I, I, uh, he can still go and testify and meet with all of these different, you know, prosecutors, even when he's in jail, right? They can yep. still take him out in chains or whatever they do. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Put that little waist belt chain on him with the handy things and he can't really take big steps because yeah. he's got his little shackles they just on. Take a subway, handcuff him to a pole or something. <laughs> like speed. Oh, I guess God. they'd use a car in that scenario. Yeah, they'd probably pick him up, give him a ride. They're nice. Yeah. Anyway. We'll I would, d- did you hear what kind of insurance fraud no, they it, were? It's just, just fraudulent insurance claims. Maybe they tried to claim the dumpster fire. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I. My first thought went to the fire in Trump Tower. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did Cohen set the fire? Like, oh, like yeah. what the fuck? That would be amazing. Like, if, burn the evidence, and then also try to claim right. For the it's got to be. Here's my guess, and you can put super space beans on this. It's probably real property insurance damage claims that Cohen did himself. Mm-hmm. Like Cohen, like Trump's like, mm, I need some cash. Uh, yeah. Deutsche Bank won't talk to me this week. Totally. I don't know why. Can you go? light a fire in Trump Tower or have some, you know. Right, yeah. Mm. And if you could also burn documents that implicate me at the same time, that'd be awesome. Yeah, or just go fall down some stairs and collect the money and give it to me. Like, (laughs) what is it? I'm really interested, but I bet it has to do with real estate and destruction of property and maybe that Cohen caused it. Or Schiller, maybe. Keith Schiller, his body man. That we haven't heard from in a while. That's yeah. gotten paid two hundred twenty-five thousand mm-hmm. dollars for doing nothing for the last year. Mm. I don't know. Super space beans. We'll be right back. Thanks to Rothy's for supporting Muller. She wrote, "Rothy's are easily the most comfortable pair of shoes I own, and they do it all while being sustainable." Rothy's flats are not only comfortable and sustainable, but they look amazing. They come in all kinds of colors and prints, and they come in four styles, including flat, point, loafer, and the sneaker. So I can transition from my professional day job to casual happy hour without having to change my shoes. And I I love that about them. Uh, I mentioned they're sustainable, which is a big plus for us here at Muller, she wrote. And Rothy's makes their flats from recycled water bottles. And, you guys, they've kept 20 million plastic bottles out of landfills and oceans. And that's amazing. I got the black flat, and I love it. I love the comfort, and I like the non-slip soles. What kind did you guys get? I got the leopard print loafers. They're really cute and fancy, but they're so comfy. Yeah. Yeah, it's like you don't want to take them off. Yeah. Yeah, I got some black sneakers. I love those. They match everything, obviously. And they have a really cool stripe down the back that adds a nice accent of color and they are seriously like the most comfortable pairs of shoes I have right now. Yeah, Jordan, you wear them while you're serving at, the, do, at yeah. the comedy club. I bet it helps that they're machine washable. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I sweat. <laughs> yes, and spill stuff all over your shoes. Oh, also that. 
if anyone's worked in the service industry, you know <laughs> the machine washable is a huge plus. Absolutely. And they're very breathable, too. It's great. Great. And and mine are. I love them so much. We love Rothy's. We know you will, too. And right now, Rothy's has an amazing deal for our listeners. Use code AG at checkout to get free shipping with no minimum. That's free shipping, free returns, all hassle-free, no cost exchanges, though you won't want to return them, I swear. Just go to rothys.com. That's R-O-T. H-Y-S dot com and enter A-G to get your new favorite flats with free shipping. Shoes that are comfortable, stylish, and sustainable, all with free shipping. Get yourself a pair today at rothys.com, promo code A-G. You'll be glad you did. Okay, guys, welcome back. Uh, We're on Wednesday when we left off, right? And Wednesday, CNN and the Washington Post joined NBC and Matthew fucking Whitaker in reporting that the Mueller report would be out this week. The end is nigh. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. You ain't just whistling Dixie. Armageddon is almost upon us. I got news for you. It's already here. Or is it? Uh, I'll be talking about the different scenarios later in the interview with Harry Lippman, along with some late breaking news from the Associated Press about the Mueller report timeline a little bit later. So stick around for that. Then Thursday, we learned that the Senate Intelligence Committee wants to question Moscow-based American businessman. Uh, His name is David Giovannis. He has ties to Trump. Because witnesses told them, um, the Senate Intelligence Committee, that he could shed light on the president's commercial and personal business deals in Russia dating all the way back to the 90s. So apparently this guy Giovannis traveled to Russia with Trump in 1996 to start pursuing a Trump Tower deal in Moscow. Uh, years later, Giovannis worked for Oleg Deripaska, so keep him in your pocket for the Fantasy Indictment League. He's being questioned by the Senate Intelligence Committee. I'm sure Mueller's probably already gotten to him. Uh, and Roger St- that's I don't know that for sure, I'm guessing. And Roger Stone appeared in court Thursday after Judge Jackson called him back after he posted a photo of her with crosshairs next to her head on Instagram. And it's either crosshairs or the Celtic cross, which is a white power symbol. Either way, bad look. So then he took down the post, removed the crosshairs, and then put it back up. And then he took down the whole post. And then his lawyers filed an apology with the court, which is weird. I've never seen that happen. Um, so Jackson called him back in. He's like, she's like, get the fuck back in here. Yeah. She slapped a full gag order him, just like we thought, um, saying if he violates it, which I'm sure he will, she will, quote, find it necessary to adjust your environment. Unquote. <laughs> Which means I will put your fucking head in the whole rest of you in jail. His head's weird. That's why I separate it. I can imagine her parenting like that. <laughs> like as a disciplinarian. I can adjust your environment. I'm going to have to adjust your environment. Yeah. After her kid posts a photo of her with the crosshairs. <laughs> like, we got some bigger problems, kid. <laughs> How long do you think it'll be before he violates the gag order if he hasn't already? Um, I don't. It depends on, I guess, if his lawyers can get through to him at all. I'm not sure they can. So I'm going to say two weeks. I said four days. Um, (laughs) And I say that because it's not just him that has to be quiet. It's his associates. Mm. He'd have to wrangle in all of his associates, too. So that should be funny. His next status update hearing in court is set for March 14th. Oh, okay. So we'll find out. Yeah. Put that on your calendar. Ugh. In your sexy justice calendar. Mm-hmm. That'd be hard to rein all those people in for sure. What a circus. I know. He's like, wait a minute. Nobody that I know can speak on my behalf? 
can I, 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 I wanted to know so badly if he was like, can I do the Nixon sign out front of the courthouse or is that violate the gag order? And so after she handed his ass to him, he walked out of the courtroom, didn't say anything, didn't look up, didn't do his salute, just walked right to his car. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking asshole. Uh, in other Stone news, Mueller rebuffed Stone's accusation that he leaked his indictment to CNN ahead of the arrest in a court filing on Friday. Quote, the order does not state as many unsealing orders do, that the indictment shall remain sealed until further order from the court. Rather, the order conditioned the unsealing of the indictment on one event, the defendant's arrest, unquote. So idiot Trump supporters, Fox News, and even Matthew fucking Whitaker were accusing Mueller of leaking the indictment to the press, saying there's no way CNN could have known about it otherwise. Um, we knew about it, so, mm -hmm. and we don't have... A newsroom so <laughs> yeah well and you're like the most major news organization in the country you think they're not going to be staking out at any new potential headline right shimon prokopes is like we were staking out a lot of houses that day yeah he was just one of them the other ones turned up nothing mm -hmm. we got one like every friday we're at kushner's house <laughs> junior's house stone's house or wherever they are sounds like a party oh my god yeah <laughs> i mean we're a news organization that's what we do that's amazing they're just hiding behind the bushes every morning they come out like oh how's it going oh hey and then they back it like nothing happens they back away like homer mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. maybe you're <laughs> to deliver the news for them like pick up their newspaper and just like hand it to them yeah i hope cnn brought me my mail today thanks guys mm. you want some coffee everybody want coffee uh also thursday we learned that wilbur ross uh has a his financial disclosures have been rejected by a federal ethics agency. Jaleesa will have more on that for us in Hot Notes. And Friday, we found out Bloomberg News uh, has an article that the New York Attorney General is teeing up criminal charges or has teed up criminal charges against Manafort. Jordan's going to talk to us Indeed. about that later. And then later Friday, and this is the best, uh, talking about staking out offices, somebody spotted a person dressed up as a parrot <laughs> hanging out in the revolving door in the building where Mueller's office is. Uh, and uh, basically there was a CNN crew camped out front <laughs> because that's what they do and as it turns out uh, the parrot was banging its face against the glass and mooned the <laughs> CNN crew <laughs> so uh, apparently there's a, uh, there's a parrot called the Mueller parrot uh, it's actually German Mueller parrot uh, but that's how Mueller actually would pronounce his name if he were in Germany we have nothing further on this story other than it's awesome <laughs> there was a guy dressed as a parrot Mocking the CNN camera crew. I so, wonder if it's a metaphor. Like the parrot represents something. Yeah, is it a Trump supporter? I don't know. I think it's just somebody like, hey, this is the Mueller office. Nothing's happening. Thurn, thurn. And the only suit they had was a parrot suit. They'd probably show up in whatever costume they had. Unless they? it's the Mueller parrot. Oh, like the actual, yeah. yeah. That's just clever then. Yeah, and yeah. then it's just funny. You said they post up in the revolving door? Yeah, they were in the revolving door, just revolving. Uh, maybe they're just like head on the glass. Trying to lose some weight or something. <laughs> just walking around constantly. <laughs> I, I only have a still picture of it from Twitter. But that's so funny I'm to me. I'm so curious about that. I know. And he mooned the camera crew. Like, you're not getting anything from us today. Well, would you interview the Mueller parrot on the I show? Would. I would. <laughs> I definitely would. That'd be great. I hope they were just like, <laughs> the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how parrots sound. <laughs> Sabina. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's kooky. It's so great. Yeah, I'm surprised they let that happen. <laughs> well, they probably weren't expecting it. 
I guess. But you'd think someone would be like, um, there's a parrot in the door. <laughs> they just tackle him or something. Well, you know, call animal control. No, it's a human dressed as a parrot. And, uh, mooning the camera crews. Oh, oh. oh my God, yes. <laughs> then the Daily Beast uh, reported Friday that, and this is a big story, uh, an Italian expose came out documenting funding of Italy's far-right Salvini, that's a guy, coming from the Kremlin, okay, so... Putin's backing this far-right guy in Italy. Back in October, the interior minister and vice premier of Italy, Matteo Salvini, disappeared while visiting Moscow, went off the grid for 12 hours, and apparently he was making backroom deals with Russian operatives ahead of the European parliamentary elections. Uh, Russian oil profits were found to have been funneled back to Italy to fund Salvini's party to help it engage in social media manipulation ahead of the May elections. One official on Salvini's team says, quote, We want to change Europe together with our allies like Strasse in Austria, Alternative for Deutschland in Germany, Marine Le Pen in France, Orban in Hungary, and Sferigedo Macarena. Uh, Macarena? Yeah, the Macarena <laughs> in Sweden, because that is fascist. The Macarena is fascist. Dance the way you want to. <laughs> Don't be forced yeah. into the moves. Don't even get me started about the cha-cha slide. <laughs> Soldier Boy. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Did you ever do that, A.G.? <laughs> Did you ever dance the Soldier Boy? No. <laughs> uh, my favorite band was The Cure. So, <laughs> no, but I know the song. Totally. Yeah. That was me and Julissa's era in high school. Soldier Boy. Yeah, no, our era was the Macarena. <laughs> so, in high school, but I did not dance the Macarena either. Anyway, uh, I grew up in Supermaning that hoe. Sverigera Macraterna. Sverigera Macraterna. That's it. And that's a Swedish guy. All those leaders happen to be part of Steve Bannon's new movement coalition of right-wing leaders hoping to take Europe by storm in the May elections, by the way. Those are all the right-wing guys. Yeah. We're just another part of that grandmaster plan. Can't he see? Why can't Trump see that? We're not special. (laughs) You're not special. We're just another pawn. Yeah. Big, pretty fucking big one. Yeah. A pawn across the pond. It's so so much more work for them, us being all the way over here, isn't it? I guess so. Long distance. Thank you for the internet. Yeah. Long distance relationships are hard. Definitely. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) You're like, don't even let me start. (laughs) Uh, Also Friday, we learned that the district attorney in North Carolina is going to convene a grand jury within the next month to look into the criminality of the botched congressional election there. If you remember, that election was plagued by fraud when it was found that Republicans were stealing mail ballots by collecting them door to door and throwing them away or forging them. And Jordan, I remember when you and I went out going knocking door to door for Mike Levin and the the campaigner said if they want to they can turn their mail ballot uh, mail in ballot into you and I'm like really that's weird I wouldn't give my ballot to anybody and so these people figured that out and they were collecting ballots mail in ballots changing them forging them or just throwing them away damn so Harris the guy uh well let's see here um I hope they indict Harris first of all he's a Republican who who now he's now called for a do-over election yeah of course now uh, because he was apparently crying in court when his son testified that his father had indeed cheated oh god brutal yeah. so he was crying and i it, i it pleased me i i know that's <laughs> probably terrible but i don't care you cheated in an election and i'm a veteran so i hate your face yeah cry away damn make snow cones with your tears what a snitch that kid <laughs> that's a that's a patriot right there seriously also Friday, the Associated Press says that the Mueller report is not coming out this week, <laughs> despite NBC, CNN, Ken Delanian, Matthew fucking Whitaker, Trump, and the Washington Post saying it would. 
Uh, Trump said when asked um, that there was no collusion, there was no collusion, there were no phone calls, there was nothing. Uh, and he said, if the report says, uh, if it's a good report, it'll say that I'm innocent. Uh, if it's a, if it's if it's an honest report, it'll say I'm innocent. But if it doesn't say that, we know the report isn't honest. <laughs> what? First of all, nobody asked you about any phone calls, so it's <laughs> weird that you just throw that in there. Yeah, no phone calls. It's a real Giuliani move. It, it was right. <laughs> he just threw it out there. Like that's what we're talking about. Don't ask many questions. Just let him talk. What phone calls? Is it the phone calls he made? Maybe the DTJ ones or something? I the think, yeah, the ones? Lorber one. No phone calls mm-hmm. on my phone. <laughs> Fucking dumbass. Uh, the bodies aren't in the basement. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, I shouldn't have said cupcakes. Bye. <laughs> uh, weirdo. Uh, and if the report says I'm innocent, it's good. If it doesn't, it's dishonest. Who says that? Yeah, that's a very rudimentary way of interpreting the findings of that. <laughs> if I'm innocent, good. If I'm not bad then it's a really lie. wow yeah the report's the only reasoning. honest if it says i'm great mm-hmm. dumbass then some great news this uh, came out this week this is happy news uh, this is something we can all celebrate and um, this happened in the jeffrey epstein case he's the guy that had parties where he would buy underage models to pass around to his gross rich friends underage models and about uh three dozen documented cases of underage sex uh victims though the actual number is at least over a hundred And the attorney general in Florida at the time, named Acosta, handed Epstein a sweetheart of a deal where he didn't really have to go to jail. It was a work release program where he spent a few hours a day in his own private low security cell, kind of like going to the office. And then he spent the night at home. uh, And he and his high profile friends were all given non-prosecution agreements and they weren't charged. It's different from immunity, if you uh, to note that. And uh, he paid a, a lame fine and... Acosta, the AG that let him off the hook, is Trump's current labor secretary. The guy in charge of sex and human trafficking is this guy. Yeah. Um, like right this second. He's, he hasn't resigned. And a federal judge this week ruled that Acosta, that, that's the AG uh, and the current labor secretary, violated the law by not speaking to the victims before offering Epstein the deal. The ruling comes over 10 years after the victim sued for not being informed of the plea deal, as is required by law. Basically, if... If I'm a victim and the the lawyer is working out a plea deal with my attacker, they have to inform me. Mm-hmm. They didn't do that. Um, and so 10, almost 11 years later, a federal judge found that they violated the law. Um, so, ooh. and then Friday we learned that the White House says it's looking into it. Like we're looking into the Acosta's role in the case. Sure. Yeah, whatever. Um, there are reports that Trump attended these parties that Epstein threw and that he might have been the one who supplied the underage models. He owned a modeling agency at the time. We also know Bill Clinton and Alan Dershowitz, who's oddly vocal against this ruling, attended these parties. Combine that with the news that the New England Patriots owner Kraft, along with 24 others, were busted in a sting operation for getting handies at a Jupiter, Florida rub and tug called the Orchid Spa, which incidentally is situated pretty close to Mar-a-Lago and in the same strip mall as a Trump spa. Mm. Oh, sorry about your patriots. It's fine. I mean, at this point, nothing really would make us care. So <laughs> <laughs> we won. Get over it. Everyone's just jelly. I'm just kidding. I only make that just joke. Just because he got his balls deflated yes. doesn't mean. Well, I mean, it doesn't really bother me that like someone engaged in sex work. Really, it's kind of weird to me that actually that people are shaming that so much. Is this you know like horrible morally corrupt thing or whatever? Yeah. But, um, that just could be because I am a Patriots fan. And and 
<laughs> I also think prostitution should be legal. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I don't have any problem with this. But apparently these women in this spa are forced to be there. Oh, I did not know that. Um, they're, I think. Really? Yeah. And that's why it was getting like staked out or something? I think so. Well, that's fucking awful. I didn't know that. I have a problem with that for sure. Yeah, because it's true. I don't think it's just prostitution. I think it's human trafficking. Oh, Jesus. Uh, but Why isn't that in the headlines then? I don't, I don't know. And maybe it's because they haven't determined if that's the case yet or not. If these huh. were willing sex workers. Yeah. God, that's awful. All right. Well, then I take that back. Obviously, there's a line also. That was a joke. There's definitely something that would make me... Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. But also, what the hell does the owner do? He just holds the trophy. That's all he does. Fucking useless. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant the owner of the spa for a second. Oh I'm no, all, there's a trophy. <laughs> That's handy. All right, no, Florida. The, the owner, the owner of a sports team. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's how I connect with my dad. Okay, yeah, it's, it's totally fine. I have to be a Cleveland Browns fan, and I don't want to. So I get it. <laughs> yeah. You guys, we'll be right back. <laughs> This episode of Muller She Wrote is brought to you by Buffy, the best comforter you've ever slept with. With over 11,000 reviews, everyone agrees it's the softest, fluffiest comforter they've ever had. And the best part? The filling is made from recycled water bottles and the fabric is plant-based eucalyptus, which is really breathable and soothing to your skin. That means if you sleep hot, like I do, it keeps you cool and comfortable. Or if you sleep cool, like the other side of the pillow, you'll stay warm and cozy. The podcasts love to make caves in it. And the super soft eucalyptus goodness means their fur doesn't stick to it. And for me, it's really awesome for my sensitive skin. So I sleep through the night and I wake up refreshed. But it's really the added bonus of the sustainability, as eucalyptus uses 10 times less water to cultivate than cotton. And so far, Buffy has kept over 3.5 million bottles out of landfills in the ocean. Best of all, it's hypoallergenic and blocks dust mites, mold, and other allergens that can prevent you from getting your best night's sleep. Buffy believes betting is personal, so they're offering a complimentary trial. Try a comforter in your own home for 30 days, and if you don't love it, return it free. Right now, Buffy is offering $20 off to our listeners. So head to Buffy.com and enter code AG at checkout for $20 off your Buffy comforter. That's Buffy.com, promo code AG for $20 off today. You'll be glad you did. All right, welcome back. Hot notes. All right, guys, today, Jordan, you have a story about New York prepping state charges against Manafort. But first, Jaleesa, you have some news about Wilbur Ross. Yes. So on And by the way, I love Kate McKinnon's Wilbur Ross. She's really good at the old man impressions. <laughs> Something is. about that. She is. Her and the Melissa McCarthy, Sean Spicer. I, I'm so sad he wasn't around for longer so that she could just keep doing that character. Well, she immortalized him more than he ever could. <laughs> right. Exactly. So on Tuesday, we learned from CNN that Commerce Secretary and real-life Scooby-Doo villain Wilbur Ross submitted an inaccurate financial disclosure form to the Office of Government Ethics. Basically, he lied about selling his bank stock as required within 90 days after he was confirmed to be Commerce Secretary. And as a result, his financial disclosure form was rejected. Denied. (laughs) This is a huge red flag because apparently this doesn't happen very often. Even George W. Bush's former ethics attorney said he'd never seen a cabinet member's financial disclosure form rejected in this way. He said agencies sometimes send a financial disclosure draft to the Office of Government Ethics for review, but even then, if something comes up, it's usually dealt with behind the scenes. So it's almost like they're trying to set an example of Ross. 
And uh, in a pretty vague statement, he replied, while I am disappointed that my report was not certified, I remain committed to complying with my ethics agreement and adhering to the guidance of commerce ethics officials. So there's really no admission of guilt there, although he did sell the stock as soon as he claimed he learned about the issue in October, six months after he was supposed to sell the stocks, and Ross said he thought the stock was sold and that there was just a miscommunication between him and his agent. He also said the stocks aren't really a big deal because they were only worth about 3700 So specifically, he said the amount was, quote, below the threshold of a possible conflict of interest. <laughs> so yeah, since he's a billionaire, I guess 3700 in stock is not really that big of a deal. Uh, it's too small to matter. He then finished off with saying that even if he was investigated for this while still owning the stocks, they would have found that he did nothing wrong. I guess besides file a false report. <laughs> so <laughs> this isn't even new, though. I mean, Kushner did so many different uh, financial reports and like corrections and all this. I mean, it should be news, but it's it's just another day in the Trump administration. Yeah. And I guess thirty seven hundred dollars is just like nickels and dimes to them, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's pretty low. When it's I found that out, I'm like, what are you lying about thirty seven hundred bucks for? Right. I, it's just it's silly. Right. And then I feel like when you think about how some poor people or middle class people, if they like filled out an incorrect form for something with a the government, they could really be held accountable for that. So I wonder what's going to happen with him. Probably nothing. Yeah, <laughs> probably not as bad as if I filled out my health care report wrong or something. Right. Yeah. For taxes. I know that. That's happened. Yeah. You know, if you send that form and where you're going to be charged a, a lot of money. Oh, yeah. Ugh. That does seem like it wasn't really nefarious in intent that specifically, though. Mm. I He's don't like, know. I'm just making money. Everyone's making money. Yeah. Like, what's the bit? I'm not I, hurting I, anyone. Yeah. Well, also, I could just imagine someone that has so many different stocks and stuff, just it's just slipping through the cracks, kind of. Right. And that's yeah, the But to say that you sold it off and didn't sell it off, it's like. Yeah. Mm. It's, that seems more like a lie at that point. But he's yeah. blaming his agent. So Maybe there's a bunch of other ones that have yet to be discovered that if you add them all up, it actually makes a lot of money. I was money thinking or about that. Yeah. yeah. And even just making 3700 on the side like that, you can give that to your grandson and they'll be balling. <laughs> So that's a lot of money to me. <laughs> Side hustle. Yeah, that's true. You yeah, could, you could buy the love of your relatives and sleep at night for thirty-seven hundred dollars. That's mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and Trump's just going to be like, "What? Thirty-seven hundred dollars? That's nothing. I own entire hotel chains. Mm-hmm. I didn't divest my stock at all. Mm-hmm. Right? They're so disconnected <laughs> that it doesn't even matter to them. Oh, it's but, ridiculous. But yeah, if you're in charge of uh, finances, basically, you, yeah, you probably should not Big be red making mistakes like that. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and and I'm sure that probably just came up when they were looking into other things like him heading up the Cypriot Bank or whatever, like massive things. Yeah, so totally. like oh, and also you didn't sell this stock, right. right? And this just ties into Trump picking people that just shit on the department that they're in charge of. I mean, mm-hmm. that's been a common theme: pedophiles he... and criminals. Yeah, totally. And people who hate whatever department they run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, EPA, education. Oh yeah. yeah oh fun. good God. times. Yeah, only the best people. Uh, Jordan. Yes. You have a story about New York. AG. Yes, yes. So uh, Bloomberg reported that attorneys in the state of New York are starting to develop a roadmap, basically, for how Manafort could be charged in New York if Trump decided to pardon his gouty ass. So attorney Cyrus Vance Jr., amazing name, uh, he's supposedly ready to file additional tax charges against Manafort that would not fall victim to the double jeopardy law that they have there in New York, which has been problematic before. If you'll remember a ways back before Schneiderman was revealed as a creepy man, he was pushing for the state legislature to form its double jeopardy, reform its double jeopardy laws, uh, which 
I think it's safe to say, uh, was basically originated from the fear that Trump was going to pardon all these people that are going to jail and getting charged. Uh, But that legislation wasn't really followed up on, and New York still has super strict double jeopardy laws. Like, they're way stricter than what the U.S. Constitution lays out in terms of not being able to be tried for the same thing two times. It really reinforces that in that state. But Vance Jr. believes that they have enough on Manafort to charge him successfully in the state of New York without falling victim to yeah that those rules. So, for example, one of the things is Manafort got convicted of federal tax fraud, right? Well, there's state taxes, so he could get convicted on state tax fraud crimes, and that would be considered something that's separate and doesn't doesn't count as the same thing, even though it basically is. Yeah, <laughs> and there were a couple talking heads arguing about wh- how Americans would feel about that. Like some guy said, uh, a lot of Americans wouldn't go for like they would be upset that somebody was charged twice for the same thing. I personally would be upset if you didn't charge them for federal uh, for dicking over federal taxes and dicking over state taxes. Definitely. Because they're different crimes. They are. And you've defrauded the state you live in and the people who live there, and you've defrauded the the Treasury. Exactly. So I'm for it, Mm -hmm. personally. I don't think that's double jeopardy because they're two crimes. Now, if you tried them twice for federal taxes, yeah, I'd be against that. That's unconstitutional to me. Yeah, it's like if you murdered two people, you wouldn't come out and say, oh, you know, it was the same sort of crime, so you can only charge him for murder one time. You charge him for all the different counts of it, and that's a different count, essentially. And when the money is going to different people, like you said, he winds up defrauding a whole different group of people. That's a whole different group of victims that deserve to have their own separate... Exactly. Yeah. Because if you're a New Yorker, you're double fucked. They Mm -hmm. fucked you... he, He fucked you over on your federal taxes that you paid and he fucked you over on your state taxes that you paid yeah as a californian i didn't get double fucked so he shouldn't be double charged right for what he did to me but the people who live in new york have been definitely Absolutely. good point yeah, yeah totally double so, fuck <laughs> <laughs> so i think i think they're they're pretty confident that that's gonna work if they do that also with um they would i don't think they'd bring the charges if it if it was illegal right definitely yeah that'd be what a bummer to engage in that and have it not follow through. I guess you have to try everything. But yeah, I think he's going to be successful and their office will be successful if this happens. Uh, apparently, people in his office have been investigating Manafort since 2017. So I'm pretty confident they have enough to get him if Trump decides to start pardoning people. And just a reminder on what the state of the, you know, the concept of pardoning someone is on behalf of the DOJ is currently Matthew Whitaker told lawmakers February 8th that he had not had discussions about potential pardons but then when U.S. Rep. Veronica Escobar who's a Texas Dem asked him what he knew of any pardon documents that had been prepared Whitaker responded quote I am aware of documents relating to pardons of individuals yes end quote and then there was no follow-up questions asked because the time ran out Uh, yeah your time has expired. Reclaiming my time. <laughs> yes. Reclaim some time. Some <laughs> just answer that question. Yeah. Yeah. And I, hmm, I, I, I wish that the the media wasn't putting putting this out as they're teeing up charges in case he's pardoned because I don't think that's what's going on here. I think they're going to file these charges regardless of whether he's pardoned. Right. They can do that, and it doesn't really have anything to do with whether or not he's pardoned, and they're not doing it to get back at Trump if he pardons Manafort yeah. or to get Manafort in case he's pardoned. Like, that that's not what this is about. This yeah. is about you broke the law in our state. You haven't been 
held accountable for that and we're going to hold you accountable. Yeah, I'm sure there's a sort of cost benefit analysis of if the time served he's getting on the federal case would be sufficient enough for them to not want to spend more taxpayer dollars prosecuting him on the state level. Yeah, if he goes but, to prison for the rest of his life, why why spend money to why spend money on a trial? Yeah, there's no that would be then you would be you you know misusing tax dollars or at least you wouldn't be a very good ward or right. steward of the taxpayer dollar. Yeah, just to do it. You right, know? exactly. But then also the fines that he has to pay, maybe if those would exceed whatever it would cost the taxpayers. I don't think he's going to have any money left after Mueller's done with him. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I think they're going to give like $10 each to his kids and be like, good luck. That's true. Can he pay the fines and then they can seize everything just so they can or I guess, what? yeah, what do they do with the things that they seize? What happens to that money? They're auctioned off and the money goes to the government. I want to be at that auction. Mm -hmm. I really do. I think we should get them all tax rebates. The money goes to the government? Yep. Okay, so if it's the state, if the state is seizing or getting the fines, it goes to the state. Right. If the federal government is the forfeitures, like the asset forfeitures, yes. like that yacht we got, that's that's ours. You're talking for like items and stuff, right? Items or real estate or fines. Wow. Unless the restitution goes to any victims. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in this case, the victim is the United States Treasury. So we get that back yeah. as taxpayers. That's awesome. I never really thought of what happens after they take shit. They don't send it to us personally. I was going <laughs> to say, when am I getting my check? They spend it on missiles? Yay. And roads yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Mm. That is really, ha- like, that has to be a show. Like a anti, like a Pawn Stars thing, but just for things they've taken from, like, white-collar criminals. Asset forfeiture. That'd be so entertaining. Yeah. That's a great idea. Yes. Just MTV the liberals. Cribs, too. <laughs> yeah. We're selling Manafort's house. Yeah. My whole house is furnished by people sitting in prison. <laughs> Here's the acid bathtub. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, that was Steve Bannon, by the way. That's right. When we were questioning that. Who had the who had the acid-filled hot tub? That was Bannon. Jesus. Uh, all right. Guys, this week, the House opened an inquiry into the proposed U.S. nuclear venture in Saudi Arabia. The New York Times article about this says that according to a report by House Democrats released Tuesday of this week, top Trump administration officials have pushed to build nuclear power plants in Saudi Arabia despite objections from White House lawyers who question the legality and ethics of the project that could make a lot uh, of money for Trump and his allies, and they could make them very, very rich. Uh, And also there were people like H.R. McMaster and Mattis who were saying, you can't do this because of the Nuclear Proliferation Treaty. That's just illegal. Uh, The report outlines, uh, this report that Congress uh, released, it outlines how Mike Flynn worked with retired military officers to make an end run around policy to develop a project that could bring nuclear weapons capabilities to the Middle East. According to the New York Times, quote, the plan called the Middle East Marshall Plan could violate laws meant to stop nuclear proliferation, unquote. Hmm. Marshall Plan. Where have we heard that before? <laughs> Sounds familiar. Let's listen to that clip. I talked a little bit earlier about, about Flynn texting Copson, who's his business partner, from the dais while Trump is being inaugurated. He's on his phone. There's pictures of it. And he's texting him. This is it. We're going to get this done. Mm-hmm. We're going to rip. He's going to rip up sanctions. And he's talking about the. I think it's called the Marshall Plan. It's the nuclear yeah. plan. We're going to build nuclear reactors in the Middle East. Right. And what's fucking scary <clears throat> is that. Uh, let me see if I can find it, because Copson had said something to the effect of, "Yeah, we want to build these reactors in the, in the Middle East, and we're going to need 
bases and troops to support and protect these reactors, mm. which is a good pretext for our recolonization of the Middle East. <sighs> Guys, that clip is from episode six, which aired December 10th Damn. of 2017. And in that episode, Jaleesa, you talk about the Mayflower meeting and how KT McFarlane was handpicked to be Flynn's DEPSEC. That's his number two. And how Bud McFarlane, a longtime Marshall Plan architect, uh, was there at the Mayflower meeting along with Jeff Sessions and a couple of ambassadors, including the Singapore ambassador. And after KT McFarlane uh, left uh, as DEPSEC, she, he appointed her to be the Singapore ambassador, weirdly. Uh, and how uh, Flynn and his friend Copson from uh, ACU, that's the name of his company, were planning to build nuclear reactors in Saudi Arabia using Russian oil, uh, aided by Eric Prince, a gas and pipeline guy, which is why the UAE set up that meeting with him and in the Seychelles and Russia to talk about lifting sanctions so they could do the deal. Uh, and then, oh, let's see. How about episode 18? This one's called Mifsud, Ribka, and Leaky Witnesses. It aired March 5th of last year. Let's listen to that clip. <laughs> Uh, and this is nuts. On Monday, you guys, Rick Perry canceled his trip to India. Rick Perry is the Secretary of Energy. He was the governor of Texas. He was on Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> Awful person overall. <laughs> He's say. just an idiot. Um, he canceled his trip to India to head to Saudi Arabia to open up talks about building nuclear reactors in the region. Hmm. And that's crazy because called it yeah Definitely. i we called it that's the marshall plan you guys do you remember i mean we've had so many stories on this about flynn texting copson his business partner on the dais during the inauguration saying that sanctions are going to be ripped up and we can move forward with the marshall plan mm -hmm. and copson is saying great because i we, we're gonna have to build you know military bases to guard them and then we can recolonize the middle east like all that crazy stuff and they need to partner with russian oil rosneft and and the uae who who set up the seychelles meeting with rick prince like they're all connected in there yeah and now he's going to meet with saudi arabia to talk nuclear reactors uh, so okay <laughs> um hmm guys we were so mad later in that episode about why no one was talking about the marshall plan uh, we were like, where, why, why hasn't the media picked up on this? They're trying to recolonize the Middle East. This is scary shit. Or maybe we heard about it in episode 40. This one was called Avenatti, Let's Go Party. Let's listen to that clip. So according to the Wall Street Journal, a top Trump donor named Franklin Haney agreed to pay Cohen $10 million if he successfully helped obtain funding for three dozen nuclear power plants in the Middle East. Oh, no. A proposal submitted calling for finishing the Belfont reactors in Alabama and then another $300 million to fund Middle East reactors over the next 40 years and that the company proposing, writing this proposal, would receive $1 billion annually. And you know who wrote the proposal? Copson. Wow. Do you know who would partner with the U.S. on building these reactors according to Copson's proposal? Who? Russia. The plan is to complete the reactors in Alabama— and then use them as training centers for the Middle East construction project. Copson also said repeatedly that Alabama's two senators could help pull the project together. Who was the senator at the time in Alabama? There was Rich Shelby. Oh, oh wow. And you guessed it, Jeff Sessions. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and guess what would have to go away to make this project happen? Russian sanctions. It all is like a complete circle. Mm -hmm. That's insane. Nuclear beans. Who, who reported that? Oh, I'd have to look it up. It's in it's going to be in the notes. I have the story. I know we touch on the Marshall Plan, you know, here and there. But like, 
it's almost like every time we address it, there's there's something that connects it. Nothing ever goes back and it's like, oh, maybe it's not that. It's like, it's it just that. gets, it, I mean, because it has to be something, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's not all going on for nothing. And, and we know Sessions was at the Mayflower, yes. which is the, the Marshall Plan meeting, basically, exactly. with Bud McFarlane, yeah. who was uh, the mentee for KT McFarlane. Right. And you're going to be impressed when uh, Boutina gets tied into this later in the show. So in that episode, we talked a little bit later on about how it was Boutina that lobbied to get KT McFarland to work for Flynn, and it was the Center for National Interest that hosted the Mayflower meeting. Uh, or maybe it was when we mentioned it in episode 56 on November 25th called The British Invasion. Let's check that one out. Uh, MBS has been negotiating with the Energy Department um, and the State Department, Rick, Rick Perry and Rex Tillerson up until recently, to get the U.S. to sell reactors to the kingdom in a deal worth $80 billion. The rub is, is that Mohammed Bonesaw wanted to produce his own nuclear fuel, which makes no sense because you can buy it abroad for way cheaper. And this raised concerns um, with the United States intelligence agencies that we were, they were trying to enrich their own uranium to build a bomb. And that's exactly what Obama was concerned about with Iran, which is why we signed the Iran nuclear deal that Trump has since pulled out of. Mm-hmm. MBS uh, even said earlier this year that if Iran develops a bomb, Saudi would follow as soon as possible. And he would refuse to sign an agreement that would allow U.N. inspectors to inspect the fuel enrichment sites. Uh, Brad Sherman, who's a Democratic member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, has said, quote, a country that can't be trusted with a bone saw shouldn't be trusted with nuclear weapons, yes. unquote. But Saudi leaders saw an opening when Trump stole the election and Flynn backed a plan that would have let Moscow and the U.S., Um, supply Riyadh with reactors, but Russian sanctions would have to be dropped or eased. So now if we ask ourselves, knowing everything we know now, why was there a push to drop Russian sanctions? Why KT McFarlane and Flynn and Tillerson were hired? Why Trump refused to punish Mohammed Bonesaw for the murder of Khashoggi? I know you guys, this is like the best of the Marshall Plan, but I wanted to give you guys a timeline of our reporting to frame the New York Times article that dropped this week, because according to the House Oversight and Reform Committee uh, and, and this report that they put out, Trump was still considering some version of the Marshall Plan as recently as last week. Quote, further investigation is needed to determine whether the actions being pursued by the Trump administration are in the national security interest of the United States or rather serve those who stand to gain financially as a result of his potential change in U.S. foreign policy. So according to whistleblowers, that's how they got this report. A Flynn deputy for North African Affairs named Derek Harvey met with IP3 in March of 2017 to try to revive the Marshall Plan, saying Jared Kushner can present it to the president for approval. And apparently Kushner's efforts are continuing because he's scheduled to travel to Riyadh, Saudi Arabia this week to brief diplomats on Trump's Middle East peace plan. Uh, Something else that popped up in Flynn's IP3 memos was a name Thomas Barrick. (laughs) We've been talking about him a little bit. In In one memo from Flynn to Trump, Flynn advocated that Barrick be named a special representative to carry out this nuclear plan. And there was even a draft memo from Trump telling federal agencies to support Barrick in his efforts. And last week... Trump met with IP3 co-founder and formy, formy, former Army General Keene, along with Michael Hewitt, and a guy named Bud McFarlane to discuss the Marshall Plan in the White House last week. Apparently, IP3 took over the project from Copson and his company, ACU, when the old school Republicans didn't want to work with Russia. Interesting. 
So why have we been yelling about this for over a year and they're only now picking up on it? Because Cumming, Ray, Cummings raised alarms. Elijah Cummings raised alarms on this but way back in 2017 when we were talking about it, when he disclosed the claims brought by the whistleblowers. But the committee's Republican chairman, Trey Gowdy, did nothing. And he's done nothing this whole time. And now the Dems are back in the House. We are chairing the committees. And Cummings says, I'll just do this work myself. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Damn. I love they know what's up. I know. Man, that guy fucking rocks. Yeah. He's been waiting a long time, too, to have this power, and he's using it the way he should, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've all been waiting for this. True. <laughs> <laughs> you just go through our little memory lane. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Episode 6, 18, 40, 56. Yes. Like, we've been talking about this for a long time. It's Definitely. true, but now, like you said, with the house uh, being controlled by the Dems, it really makes all the difference. Mm-hmm. Yep. Trey Gowdy, if you're listening, yeah, go fuck yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Do you ever wonder where John Spurlock is? And all this as oh, it's wow. as all these things are happening. I think he changed he was, usernames. Yeah. He's probably just like it's all fake news. Yeah, he was our original troll for everyone that doesn't know who John Spurlock is, the one that told Ag uh, to to fuck herself in the heart. I believe he said, or he's gonna fuck me. Oh, in the he's heart. gonna. Right. Fuck he was easier heart. that That's way. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he he's obviously a, a staunch Trump supporter, and everything we say, he's like, you guys are crazy. This is ridiculous. You actually think that this would happen? So. This was, it sounded particularly kind of tinfoil hatty in the beginning, and I can't wait for all these people to uh, realize that. Yeah, because we're over here screaming in December of 2017, like they're looking into Trump-Russia collusion, and I'm all, they're gonna give Saudi Arabia the bomb, everybody, they want to <laughs> recolonize the Middle East, and I'm like, I sound like a complete lunatic. Yeah, you're the person on the planet they want to subdue. <laughs> and here we are, beans mm-hmm. come true. Um, and I'm really glad that Oversight is looking into this. Thank you, Elijah Cummings. Do your work. Godspeed. We'll be right back. Hey, Muller Junkies. Thanks to Billy for supporting our podcast. As I'm sure you all know, women's razors can cost up to 15% more than men's, and that's called the pink tax. And the idea that women should pay more for the same product is ridiculous. Well, now there's Billy delivering premium razors direct to you for half the price of what you'd find in a store. Go to mybilly.com and get their starter kit. It includes two razor cartridges, a handle, and their magic magnetic holder for the shower. For only $9, you can get four refill blades, one, two, or three months, based on how often you shave. Each razor cartridge includes five American-made blades, not made in China. Uh, They're encased in aloe shave soap for the smoothest shave that's gentle on sensitive skin. And they have more space between each blade to allow shave cream, soap, and hair to pass through so your razor doesn't get clogged like the store-bought ones. They're an Allure Best of Beauty winner and on Nylon's beauty hit list because Billy is the brand that finally got women's razors right. Get free shipping always. You can skip, adjust, or cancel your subscription anytime hassle-free. And now through March 31st, you will get a special offer at mybilly.com ag, but only until March 31st. So go to mybilly.com ag right now. That's M-Y-B-I-L-L-I-E dot com slash A-G. You'll be glad you did. All right, are you guys ready for sabotage? Yes. yes. Okay, I'm going to read you what I had written for this segment. Here we go. Quote, Late Friday night, we were all waiting for the Mueller filing, recommending the sentencing in the Manafort case, this time in D.C., see? But it never happened, see? The deadline was midnight, but midnight came and went, and nothing. Why? In other news, Manafort will be sentenced on Friday, March 8th, at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, in the other case, the one in Virginia, where Mueller recommends 19 and a half to 24 and a half years, end quote. <laughs> so that's what I had. 
But as we sat down to record this, the, the, this whole time you've been listening to us, we've had this in the in the back of our minds. Uh, the Mueller sentencing is in. The Mueller sentencing document is in. It's been filed uh, under seal, uh, and it's over 800 pages. Okay, so last night I tweeted. I've heard rumors that uh, he they have it. It's in the court because people are like, "Is Barr blocking it?" I'm like, "No, uh, no." The court has it, I think. I'm pretty sure the court has it. They're just trying to, it's a technical issue because they're trying to look at the redactions and approve the redactions. And everyone's like, well, come on, come on, come on. Because his last sentencing document was 20 pages, 30 pages, something like this. 800 pages. Okay. And a lot of it's redacted. And I haven't read it yet. Um, from prelim- <laughs> That'd be amazing if you could have during, <laughs> during this time. Mm, like Neo in mm-hmm. Matrix. Give me the report. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I just did the little, never mind. Uh, <laughs> you couldn't see it. It's, uh, anyway, podcasts. Uh, so I'm going to read it as soon as it comes out. Uh, we don't know what's in it. Um, there's a lot of redactions. And to me, redactions means more crimes. Um, so that could affect whether or not you're going to draft him in the Fantasy Indictment League this week. Uh, or if, I mean, there's also a lot of speculation that, that Mueller's going to be like, we already got him for the rest of his life. We're not going to file any more charges. But they, but we're, but here, here they are. The information could still be useful, yeah. Yeah, and it, and it doesn't even have to be in this report. Um, he could just give us this report. Could be stuff we already know. Uh, it could be because he doesn't have to tell us, and maybe that'll be in his report, or maybe in the grand jury thing that could come out. Uh, you know, through the House Judiciary, through the courts, uh, if they go that way, that that's the Jaworski route. But uh, he doesn't have to put any of his additional crimes in there, even if there are additional crimes. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So if there are no additional crimes in here, that doesn't mean there's not. So keep that in mind when you're when you're going forward too. <laughs> when you're trying to read it, it's yeah. gonna be tough. Yeah. All redactions, and you might not. You might choose to not draft Manafort because he's already facing life potential <laughs> the rest of his life in jail although some have said 19 to 24 is the high end and they probably he'll probably get like high single digits low double digits mm-hmm. but that still puts him in his 80s right yeah <laughs> so uh, but they might not they might not do that uh and we might not find out what those additional crimes are unless he decides to report them in another avenue so mm-hmm. keep that all in mind and now let's play the fantasy indictment league i'm gonna be indicted no it is gonna be a indicted Honey, dick. Indicted! Honey. I'm going to be indicted! Hold it, they can't. It's going to be okay. Just calm down. I can't calm down. I'm going to be indicted! All right, guys. I feel robbed because I didn't say if you were ready or not. So can you give me the yeah? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. We sound very ready. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Here we go. So uh, I want to let everyone know if Mueller finishes, okay, and he leaves all the investigations to others to finish, the Department of Justice, Southern District of New York, D.C., Stone, uh, Stone's uh, case is now in the District of Columbia, or his mini Mullers. You know how we've talked about how he's granted U.S. attorney power to all of his underlings so that they have, they're basically Mullers. Right. They're little Mullers. You can't stop this investigation. Anyway, any of those produce any indictments, they're going to count. So, um, and the so fantasy indictment league continues nice uh, as any future indictments coming out of those hands those handoffs will count towards this and if i can make it relate like if butna or veselnitskaya or something that didn't relate before but is related yes i i'll let you know i'll, I'll keep you posted so fantasy indictment league continues uh and i believe i selected first last time you were gone 
And I think you select, and then you, and then me. Yes, Sounds I good. think that's right. All right, so, Julissa, you pick first. Who is your first person? I'm going to go with uh, Brittany Kaiser. Ooh. Yeah, since she's popping in the news right now. Kaiser, not so permanente. <laughs> <laughs> is that a local joke? You think any other fans, like, not in San Diego would get that? Wait, uh, no, how branched is out Kaiser. Is Kaiser only San Diego? It started here. Oh. But I don't know if yeah, it's only here. In the South, I never heard of it. They'll be like, what are you talking about? Yeah, no, it's like a super popular hospital for guys I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like the Walmart of hospitals. It is. In a good way, though. Like, great, great care, I've heard. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know either. My boss has it, and he's alive. (laughs) And he's alive. There you go. (laughs) Say no more. That's our bar for healthcare in the United States. (laughs) Uh, He's got it. It's 500 bucks a month. He's not dead. (laughs) All right, Jordan, who do you got? Uh, I'm doing superseding Manafort. Well, now, remember, it would just be Manafort. With new crimes now, right? I guess not superseding. Right, because they're not superseding because those cases are closed. Oh, okay. I guess that's just a semantics thing. And yeah, you know. it, it. I mean, additional yeah. charges. More. That's yeah. all I mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. More, more Manafort. Manafort. More Manafort shit. That's all I mean. All right, I'm gonna go with a Cohen plea agreement. Okay. I think he's working with Southern District. I think they're gonna make him do a plea agreement, and he'll plead guilty on a couple of little charges mm-hmm. if he knows what's good for him. Related to all this stuff that's just leaking out. The Trump org stuff. <laughs> yeah. The the the, fi- the uh the fraud insurance fraud stuff mm-hmm. like that yeah i will go with uh oleg Deripaska. i like saying his name hasn't he already been indicted no i i don't think so yeah i feel like there's something a brewing though he's not in the, in the russian indictment there oh you know what you know i just looked this up last week i think actually it was he there was talk of him being I know, indicted, per, I know Prigozhin's then, on there, but yeah. I don't... And we've been talking about him for a while, so now I'm confused. Um, he might be indicted already, but I could have sworn he was in the news this week for, for newish things. So. All right, we'll put Deripaska down. And if he's just, already been indicted, I'll let you Yeah, know. a little asterisk next to that. Yeah, yeah. Right. I looked up Deripaska indicted and nothing is coming up. All right, we'll leave him on there. All right, Jordan, who do you got next? Okay, um, me saying this intentionally, superseding stone. Nice. So part of that same case. I had him next, so I don't blame you. Yeah, it would be part of the same case because they're Mm -hmm. still waiting on Miller, Andrew Miller. Uh, All right, I'm going to go with mm, AMI. Nice. I will take Junior. Nice. (laughs) I'm Jordan. I'm doing um, Assange. I knew you were (laughs) going (laughs) to... All right, if you're doing Assange, I'm going to do WikiLeaks. All right. Uh, Trump Ort, please. I'm going to do Veselnitskaya. I guess that would be a separate case then. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to do Kushner. God damn it. <laughs> um, is, it, is it all of it? No, we, we have okay, one more each. Corsi, yeah. um, plea. Damn. <laughs> Damn you. Corsi. <laughs> uh, okay, Bannon, plea deal. I'm holding out for him. Yeah, that you fucker never know. knows so much. <laughs> yeah, I might as well just do like Priebus too. Yeah. Uh, but I'm going to do Seder. Oh. Nice. Uh, because of his lies about the Trump Tower Moscow. Totally. Yeah. Okay. I forgot about that little weasel. <laughs> little weasel. <laughs> All right, guys. It's time to get some legal answers with this week's interview. 
And joining us today for the interview is Washington Post columnist. Congratulations on that new gig. He's also a former U.S. attorney and Department of Justice official. He's a constitutional law professor at UCSD and UCLA, and he's a real-life lawyer here in studio, Harry Littman. Harry, welcome to Mueller, she wrote. Thanks. Glad to be here. This is great. Uh, I'm Am so... I allowed to report that this is in my general backyard? Sure. Okay. Well, I just drove over to your totally cool studio. I can't believe it. And uh, it's 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 totally technically cool to be here. Thank you. I'm technically happy to have you. So yeah. uh, it was just you have every most people we have on here in uh, New York, L.A. or D.C. So it's nice to have somebody down in the they backyard. They don't get to meet your dog, right? No, no, they don't. Or the podcasts. Um, all right. So got a lot to talk about today. In recent weeks, NBC and then Matthew Whitaker, we call him Matthew fucking Whitaker mm-hmm. on this show, Bill Barr. And then CNN and now the Washington Post have all reported that Mueller is getting ready to wrap up his part of the investigation. He's going to have a hand in his report as soon as next week uh, or this week, I should say, because we air on Sunday. And I wanted to talk with you about some of the potential eventualities of the investigation, but ask you first what your thoughts are um, when Mueller might wrap this up. Yeah, so I was initially dubious about these um, reports. You know, there's been... there's such a frenzy of trying to tease out little little um, smoke rings from Mueller, and and it seemed that people were were kind of galloping away on not much, you know, very wispy information. But think the the drumbeat continues. There are a few things that do seem very um, probative to me. Um, it's confounding on a lot of levels that Mueller really is ready to to tie it up with a with a bow. I'm taking it as an assumption and trying to um, consider the implications of it. But there's so many big chunks of the puzzle that he obviously hasn't. It seems obvious that he hasn't completed that. I'm I've been kind of scratching uh, my head, but now as the reports continue. And it almost becomes an article of faith in D.C. At least that it's it's about to drop any minute. I I you know take it as a given and try to consider it from there. What form it'll take, what process will happen, and and you know what what now. So yeah, what you're talking about, like this, that I couldn't believe it when they were saying that the report's going to come out because there was so much additional stuff that needed to be talked about. In my mind, the Andrew Miller subpoena needed to be wrapped up, right? He still needed to. I, I know that his lawyers told reporters that Mueller still wanted him to come in and speak to the grand jury. So there was all that. And we've been discussing recently the difference between Mueller, the investigator, right, and Mueller, the prosecutor, and what his report might look like. And, and Neil Katyal, he, he wrote um, the special counsel regulations in 1999. And he tells us in a recent New York Times op-ed that, his, that Mueller's report is, quote, unlikely to be lengthy by design, uh, unquote. And at first I thought that was just because Trump supporters don't understand things. But uh, he, he, uh, Neil Katyal, he envisions a report that is concise based on the limited scope of Mueller's assignment. So it could be that Mueller is effectively handing the prosecutorial responsibilities off to U.S. attorneys and the Justice Department now that his job as an investigator is done. Is that that sort of makes it make more sense to me that he could be done? I understand the argument, um, but first of all, if you if you just take his chief mission as being investigative and not prosecutorial. It's still not done. It's still not nearly done. As a investigator in broad strokes, 
He went about the business for many months of, of uncovering misconduct in Russia. Thereafter, he went about the business of uncovering misconduct in the U.S., and, and it just seemed that he was there was this big gap in the middle of the bridge that consists of defining exactly the the links between the two. And that's where, you know, Stone is in the middle of that. Corsi's in the middle of that. What about Trump Jr.? What about Kushner? What about the Seychelles meeting, et cetera? So even if you take his chief mission as being investigative, it's sort of um, confounding to think that he's ready to close up shop. On the Katyal thesis, it's true that the regs that he authored do contemplate or at least delineate a bare bones recitation of who was prosecuted and who was not. But Bill Barr, during his nomination hearings, made clear that he would try to err on the side of um, greater transparency if possible. And you got to think that Mueller is aware of the broader public imperative uh, that goes well beyond a simple um, recitation. We charge this guy and let and let this and gave this guy a pass. So I think that that he is preparing something more considerably more full bodied, and that that will be what Barr is inclined to release. Of course, there's some categories of information: national security information. Grand jury information, though, there that's, that's um, got some interesting legal wrinkles uh, when you think back on, on Watergate. Possible information about people who aren't charged. The typical policies would say should be excised. But this is no typical case, and I think Barr and Mueller and everyone else knows it. All right, yeah, and I it's... Mm. I don't know, because it's like Neil Katyal comes out. He's like, I wrote the thing. I wrote the regulations. <laughs> You're like, well, I got to listen to that guy. I've got Marshall McLuhan right here. <laughs> right. But but part the other part of me is like, why? Look, he did write it, but he wrote it in the wake of the Clinton debacle and the star 356-page report. You know, you're always fighting the last war. And, and you when you read the regulations and especially the structure of what has to be reported within Congress and the nature of the semi-independence that the special counsel enjoys, you can really see that if as an overlay of Whitewater and that sort of misadventure. We're in a very different spot here. And I think Barr and Mueller, but also the Congress know it. It's much more akin to Watergate or even more sort of serious and sprawling. And I just I just don't see a two-page document flowing from the Attorney General to the Congress. And under the regs, by the way, Mueller's is bare bones. The AGs to the Congress is basically nothing unless Barr has countermanded or or um, Matthew, what'd you say his middle name was? <laughs> Matthew fucking oh, Whitaker. Yeah, that, yeah Matthew <laughs> uh, F. Whitaker has <laughs> countermanded any um, decision of Mueller. The regs don't actually require any report to Congress. But, of course, no way that's going to happen. Right. It actually does say that if they do block anything, Congress has to know about it once the investigation is over. Uh, and the only way I can see this wrapping up, really honestly, is if he's investigated all these things, if he's finished the Seychelles, if he's finished and all that's left are appeals. Uh, but the Stone case, for example, has been handed off to D.C. now. So any additional Miller 
uh, uh, testimony to that grand jury, and I assume they can use the same grand jury Mueller was using. Uh, look, or or it's a trivial—I wouldn't say trivial. It's it's um it's it can be complicated administratively, but it's no big deal if they have to. Uh, convene another uh, grand jury. But again, sure, you can have follow through with another office to prosecute Stone and decide if he goes to jail and for how long. But the whole point of prosecuting him, it's the Manafort scenario. You want to apply maximum pressure to get what he knows. And in fact, you want to get what he knows because it's not just about Stone, it's about Donald Trump. And as an investigative matter, to sort of uh, close up shop here, before that has happened is seems to really leave a major piece of his core mission undone and that's that's not Bob Mueller's style no it's absolutely not um, and that's kind of why I was at odds with this reporting but it's being covered by everybody now yeah. um, so recently and I wanted to talk to you about this other thing Rachel Maddow did a podcast called Bagman uh, was that wasn't it awesome it was brilliant uh, and in, in that podcast, she laid out the machinations of the re- resignation of Spiro Agnew, where the prosecutors in the Southern District of New York used the threat of an indictment to secure his resignation, basically. Uh, and that the Office of Legal Counsel's opinion at the time about the constitutionality of indicting a sitting president or vice president. Big difference. Big difference. Was pretty shaky, given the and, and so given the whispers now of the Southern District of New York possibly considering indicting Trump, which is kind of the rumors that are floating around now, and SDNY, I've heard they're leaky, I've heard they're not, I don't know, but uh, how do you view that opinion, the constitutionality of, in, of being able to indict a sitting president? Wow, okay, so lots uh, lots to chew on there first, uh, in no particular order. SDNY leaky, well, um, yes and no. I think the AUSAs are not, and I think the the bureau and the agents uh, are. They're always the first persons I think of when 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 leaks have emerged. Constitutionality of um, in, indicting first a sitting vice president I think remains uncontroversial, and that's where Agnew was at the time. But the really remarkable, or one of the really remarkable aspects, those were just kids in the um, SDNY at the time. They're now in um, the the Mad Owl podcast. And there wasn't a question of sort of going, well, they were working directly with the then um, Attorney General. Uh, today, we do have this uh, extant and reaffirmed OLC opinion saying you can't indict the president. So two questions. How cogent and forceful is it? Are there good arguments against it that the SDNY, if it wanted to, could could make? And two, how likely is it that DOJ bureaucracy would yield to such a attempt by the SDNY? On the first question. Well, and how and, and, and not to interrupt, and I'm sorry, but sure. and how stable is the Office of Legal Counsel opinion that that policy is based on, I think, is what Matta was bringing up. in her Yeah. Show so week. that I mean, I guess that's what I included in the first. So <laughs> I agree. It's a pretty um, policy driven and kind of murky uh, opinion when push comes to shove. Both the uh, 99, I think it was Randy Moss opinion, and the one that preceded it essentially say, oh, there's no constitutional uh, line here, but it would be awfully disruptive to the president's duties. That's the kind of soft consideration that, for example, yielded completely 
by an 8-0 Supreme Court in the civil setting in Clinton v. Uh, Jones, for example. And then when they come to the uh, what should seem to be the stronger question, what about indicting but not trying the president, holding it in abeyance, there's just a single sentence that says, oh, for the same reasons, we wouldn't do that either. So if it were submitted to an actual judicial review, which would be to the great benefit of everyone in the country, not to mention constitutional law professors, I'd bet it wouldn't hold up. But that's never going to happen. And that's one of the, the sort of interesting issues and in why the choice of attorney general is so important. That that policy cannot be tested in the courts unless the Department of Justice acquiesces in doing so, because what will happen otherwise is some proposal, be it from SDNY or even Mueller, to indict the president will wind up on the attorney general's desk. And the attorney general, in all likelihood, will say, we have a policy here. I don't see any reason to change our policy. And that's the end of the matter. In all these questions, it's a broader theme. Things would be so much, we'd be, I'd be so much more sanguine about things if the questions were submitted to the courts. And the most worrisome aspects from the start of the whole um, Trump demonization and in some ways actual um, uh, chilling of the Department of Justice is, and law enforcement is the possibility that certain um, important legal propositions would not be tested by a, a, a neutral decision maker. I think this is one of them. I see no practical way that the president will be indicted, even though I think more likely than not, the courts would permit it to happen. Okay. And and I guess if it did go to court, could could the prosecutors make the argument that Trump doesn't work that much and, there, <laughs> and therefore it can't I mean I know it's funny yeah but like 60 percent executive time golf I mean he does a lot of he has a lot of free time yeah uh, in which he's not working uh, which is probably better for us um, but it could be but but you know it's a lot like the emergency yeah. right we know what when it comes to the courts will they say well you know what it's not an emergency there you go or will they say especially the Supreme Court when it comes to it Look, whatever we may think about Trump's bona fides, we have to think about the executive branch presidents in the future. If we actually second guess and call him a fibber here, what will that mean for you know future honest presidents? So the short answer to your question is, I think, um, no, they won't say, you know, this guy uh, plays golf and, and watches cable and eats cheeseburgers. They'll just think about the overall duties of the presidency in the abstract. Yeah. Yeah. And so and then I want to talk a little bit about you talking about the courts versus going through the attorney general, whether it's Barr, whether it's Whitaker, whether it's Rosenstein, no matter who it is, you know, the, they can still always adhere to that policy, even if it's based on shaky ground. Um but I, I also wonder if that uh, precludes them from doing what they did in the Spiro Agnew case, not indict, but threaten to in order to coax out a resignation. And so I wanted to talk to you about what we've been calling the Jaworski report. Mm-hmm. Um, in recent months, uh, that was released to the public. We learned that a federal judge um, found that there could be no question as to the materiality of the grand jury findings in the Nixon case to the House Judiciary's Committee investigation to Watergate, right? So long story short, uh, too late, 
The court, <laughs> the court allowed the normally secret grand jury findings to be released to the House Judiciary based on a ton of precedent and case law. Um, and the job of the grand jury, quote, to me, this thing is simple. The grand jury is charged to report. It determines what it is to report, and it determines the form in which it reports, unquote. So the decision also cited case law allowing an end run around the secrecy rules when, quote, a compelling need uh, and the ends of justice may mandate release. Uh, I think that applies here, but I'm not a, I'm not a lawyer. The grand jury, uh, quote, the grand jury has ended its work. There's no need to protect against flight. Uh, there's no need to prevent tampering with witnesses or jurors. To There's no need to protect grand jury deliberations to safeguard unaccused or innocent persons with secrecy. So with that president, 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 precedent in mind, can this grand jury petition the court directly to release its findings to our House Judiciary Committee? And my big question, would that have to go through the Department of Justice or is the AG circumvented in this scenario? Wow, what a great and fascinating question. Okay, so there are a few things going on here that I want to summarize just to set things up. So the first question that Judge Sirica was facing in 74 is, can the grand jury, which we mainly think of as going thumbs up or thumbs down on the return of charges, also play a reportorial role where it, it gives its own kind of account of events uh, and the court there found, and others have since found, that in fact there, a grand jury can have more than simply the uh, bottom line decisions, and there's such a thing as issuing a report. And that grand jury, by the way, was extremely active. By all accounts, they wanted to issue the report. They actually wanted to indict the president, et cetera. Now, when you talked about the different uh, circumstances about would, would people flee or um, would there be secrecy concerns? That goes to the next question of what are the reasons why we generally keep grand jury reports secret and can they be pierced in an individual case? And the short answer based on at least that precedent would be yes, it's a balancing test that has to do with the import, the public importance of the information which I agree with you is here as as keen and uh, compelling as uh, it was in Watergate, but against the individual concerns, and there's the there's one last one that is not obviated when the court's work is when the jury grand jury's work is done. That's the privacy concerns of individuals whose um, guilt may have been considered and the grand jury passed on. Did they just you know vote on um, indicting? Kushner and decide not to. Now, in Watergate, um, there were two things going on. One, um, the president himself had not um, resisted the turnover of the information. And maybe more importantly, the information was still turned over in a supposedly confidential way, that is, by going to Congress. Um, and it wasn't until actually a few days ago, I think, and, and the sort of... Um, uh, brave or, or at least uh, uh, smart move by uh, Jack Goldsmith, Ben Wittes, and others that we got um, the, the report itself um, issued. So here you could say the same thing. You could try to say this, this um, outbalances the privacy interests of individuals. That's always a tough thing for courts to say, the sort of public interest versus individual private interests. And then they could say, and Congress, of course, will keep it confidential. Now, of course, that's that part 
in 2018 would be a total fiction. It's a little like the question you asked about the president. Would you think about them in the abstract or in reality, knowing that Congress leaks like a sieve? Because uh, if it goes to them, we'll we'll learn uh, everything. That's why I want everything to go to Congress. <laughs> <laughs> but in any event, as I see it, it's it's it the the uh, you're right that it wouldn't. It's it's now the grand jury. It's in the court's purview, and it would be a, a court decision that that the attorney general or DOJ they would be heard on, but they couldn't um, block. Okay, that's uh, and I'm I'm glad you brought up the individual rights versus the need to know. Yeah basis for the country it reminds me of this scene in one of my favorite steve martin movies called my blue heaven where he's a mob in the witness protection program and he breaks the law in the small town where he lives and the da is like uh you know you can't you know you you can't do that you can't steal cars (laughs) he's like the fbi guy who's protecting him comes and says illegal search and seizure you didn't have any right to view his car to look into his car and i think she said (laughs) something like uh uh, he goes, yeah, it's in the Constitution. Uh, <laughs> right. uh, you know, they put that in there. And she goes, not for you. And he goes, actually, exactly for me. I'm exactly the guy they put that in for <laughs> because I'm the criminal. And so it's really interesting because as you say that, like the rights of these individuals, I'm like, F them. Right. But, you, but that's that's who exactly who it's for are these people that we don't like. Um, and so I also I also believe in the Nixon case. Uh, the president's counsel was permitted to review the grand jury report before it went to the judiciary, but uh, it didn't mention anything about the attorney general. Um, so I think, uh, am I correct in assuming the grand jury petitioned the court on its own? Yeah, look, I think that's right. The grand jury is an is an adjunct of the court, technically, although in reality it's sort of a hybrid. But that's one of the um, clever or... Um, uh, moves of foresight by Mueller is once these once he has put things in a court record, uh, including in the grand jury where things can eventually be unsealed, they are beyond the reach of a Matthew F. Whitaker, for example, to to um, preempt later. And I don't think a William P. Barr Jr. would be looking to do it, but that was probably what it was in his mind. You know, in the McKay book, which came out last week, did make clear that they have had a so-called plan B from uh, early on, what's going to happen in a doomsday scenario where they're trying to lock us down? We have to be able to get the info out, just like the Watergate prosecutors at one point were thinking, we're going to stuff these documents down our pants and walk out of the building before we let Nixon actually lock up the doors. Yeah, and that was an elegant solution by McCabe, too, to to add, not to create a new or open a new uh, counterintelligence or criminal investigation into Trump, but to add his name and his obstruction as a national security issue to the already existing Russia investigation so that if anyone came in and tried to shut it down, they'd be shutting down an obstruction of justice case, which just looks bad. Totally. Man, and he, he got the beat, whole Russia investigation. He got beat up badly by the IG report. I have some feelings about that, but he, he should emerge, and I think he will emerge, a hero here. He is an honest public servant from day one. He really is. And he's a babe. So we... And a, and a lifelong Republican. Yes. Uh, until recently, I think mm. he unregistered. Oh, is that right? Uh, okay. After all this. <laughs> Enough of you guys. Bad taste <laughs> um, in his mouth. and But just that, the Trump talking about his wife oh, uh, like that. How's it him. feel to be a loser? I want oh. you to ask her that for me. Mm. This well, is I, I punched the leader him in the of face. the free world, right? Yeah. Just for him to be able to maintain composure in those situations. And then and then like Comey did, he went down and contemporaneously wrote all this down. Duh. Because it's very important. Yeah. And so I also assume 
uh, I assume, uh, that anything like this grand jury report uh, to the judiciary would be separate from Mueller's report to the attorney general, which is what we're talking about is going to happen this week, right? That's no, a separate it, thing. No doubt. If it, if it exists right now, as far as we know, it doesn't. And it, it's, not, it's very unusual grand jurors for grand jury to actually well, I'm sure they didn't in Jaworski case compose the report, but still they were an activist grand jury. One would more expect this grand jury, like other grand juries, to be go along grand juries. Oh, interesting. Why is that? That's that's just the the normal kind of relationship for good or for bad, and and, and it's it is for good and bad, but uh, it's you know you the the. If you've been in front of a grand jury and, you know, any prosecutor has over the course of weeks and months, you you they develop a sort of relationship of um, deference, at least on the legal matters. So in I think in Watergate, you had this unusual dynamic. They really wanted to indict uh, Nixon and others. And there was a real push and pull. And I've certainly had grand juries who have resisted. Uh, where the prosecutor is going, but we don't have an indication that that's happened here. Okay, yeah, well, if they do, to me, um, those grand jury findings are the real Mueller report. There you go. <laughs> Not to me, <laughs> uh, and I hope they do, but I don't know. You know, it's that's that's hoping and praying for them to repeat this elegant. Uh, Solution that the grand jury in, in Watergate came up with. Although one thing to remember, right, it's always the tip of the iceberg you're seeing with Mueller. The next level might be what's in the grand jury, but imagine the wealth of information he has that hasn't been to the grand jury. You know, McGahn, Bannon, everyone who's come in and spoken to him and that have created investigative leads that they haven't had to bring to the grand jury. That's right. a lot. And McGahn, Priebus, and Bannon have the same lawyer, so they're presumably all on the same side. Uh, otherwise, that lawyer couldn't represent all of them. Um, so, yeah, there's there's just so much. And, and we've, you know, we've said this whole time, we're only seeing 1%, 2% of what's out there. Uh, and I think that fear, however, when people hear that this report's going to come out this week, is that maybe we maybe we got it all. You know, <laughs> right. but I just can't imagine that uh, being the case because he's so tight lipped. It's just it's not a leaky uh, organization over there at the special counsel's office. So finally, uh, last question here, because you've talked about um, how you just don't see it able to be wrapped up this quickly. Um, and then we've talked about um, the grand jury findings if they're if they petition the court to get to the judiciary versus the report that goes to Barr. And then what's Barr going to do? Is he going to get it to Congress? Uh, et cetera. And of course, Congress can always subpoena Mueller. They can subpoena the report. We could find a, find ourselves in a court battle there. But how do you see this ending? I know that a lot of uh, this week, a lot of the New York Times put out a piece, Wired put out, Magazine put out a piece about the seven ways this could end. <laughs> and, right. And right. I'm thinking, really, just seven? There's, <laughs> there's infinite ways this could end. And I feel like the way it ends is probably something we've never thought of. But how do you see this ending? It's true. I mean, it grows geometrically more than arithmetically, if I can be uh, nerdy on you, A.G. Nice. But, expanding uh, universe. Exactly. Um, okay, so look, I, I believe that the report or whatever information we get when uh, Mueller provides it and the other investigations will show what we already have seen. We have a president who's, you know, a, a rogue uh, and worse and 
and is likely let's let's take the the sort of um, plausible worst case scenario. Not you know I don't think there'll be a report that shows him to have you know murdered somebody in secret five years ago. So I think uh, if much of the conduct um, is really laid at his feet, and so far the march has always been in that direction. Um, I think a lot of us, I, I am among them, have been kind of awaiting this big revelation, and now the scales will fall from the everyone's eyes. The Republicans will opt for country over party. Half of the base will say, oh, we were fooled all along. But the trouble here is I think it's always been tolerably clear, not clear beyond a reasonable doubt, of course, but pretty damn clear that that this is who we have in the White House, and yet the Republicans have stayed torpid about it or even uh, pugilistic, and the base has seemed indifferent. So I think if it's a just fairly spectacularly damning report of a sort that, that, that really uh, ascribes to him worse criminal behavior than any president in history— that doesn't mean the basic dynamic will change. And in particular, if you say what's the end game, it doesn't mean there'll be any kind of will to convict in the Senate the ultimate question. So if you, you know, are forced a gun in my head to make predictions and, you know, you get what you pay for them, mine would be he is president and having, having endured you know, terrible uh, uh, crises in the in 2020, but he, but not thereafter. Uh, he's either defeated or doesn't run. So that's the about the happiest ending I see. But as a prosecutor, you know, thirsty for justice and the truth, I think the frustration that the last couple of years have felt, where where the seismic discoveries are made and so many people seem indifferent to it. I don't I don't see why that basic dynamic changes dramatically. I sure hope I'm wrong. Okay, so you think the report's not going to really change any minds? Everybody's yeah, minds changed, made up. You know, fifty minds. Oh, but that's not, right. But yeah. not, but mm-hmm. not twenty in the Senate. Not twenty Republican minds in the Senate, and not more than you know five percent of his base. Now, of course, he's already you know so uh, abysmal in approval ratings, et cetera. It'll have political consequences, but I don't think it will. Uh, be pivotal, com- you know, turn, make make people generally go to the other side on this basic question that seems so clear to me as to, you know, whether he's he's a deeply dangerous, deranged and even criminal leader of the free world. Yeah. And your opinion there <clears throat> includes impeachment, because that's why you said 20 senators would have to flip. And exactly. You, you just don't I, I, see can, that I could really foresee an impeachment if the report and that would depend, in fact, on how um, virulent the report is, but I I have trouble you know seeing the Lindsey Graham's or even the you know the Burrs of the world uh, actually um, doing the clear right thing, the thing that happened in Watergate. We you know it's a Mitch McConnell Senate now, not a Barry Goldwater Senate. Very true. All right. Well, Harry Littman, thank you so much, guys. Former U.S. attorney, former Department of Justice official, current constitutional law professor and real life lawyer, Harry Littman. And congratulations on your new job as a columnist at The Washington Post. Thanks. I'm really loving that. That's a big get. We're so happy for you, everybody. Harry Littman.
All right, guys, that's our show. So uh, don't forget to get your tickets to Miracle Theater in D.C. March 29th, Bell House in Brooklyn March 30th, and Largo in Hollywood on April 18th. We're about to announce a Minneapolis show, like I said, so get ready for that. If you're a patron, watch your email for announcements and VIP discount codes and pre-sales and after parties and all sorts of shit. Every venue is different. Some let us do VIP meet and greets. Some let us do uh, pre-sales. Some let us do discount codes. They're all different, so keep your eyes peeled for that. We'll give you whatever we can. If you're not a patron, you can become one at patreon.com slash MullerSheWrote. And once you're a patron of MullerSheWrote, you'll automatically be a patron of a daily news show we're developing called The Daily Beans for all your bean needs. Um, <laughs> coming soon to a podcast platform near you. If you haven't uh, already, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It's how we get to beat Rush Limbaugh and Ben Shapiro in the charts. Uh, we love you guys. Be kind to each other. Any last thoughts? Oh, yeah. Uh, just take care of yourselves, guys. Crazy times. Yeah. Just self-care. Yeah, we had a, a good a colleague, um, a colleague of ours named Brody Stevens, uh, commit suicide this week, and so we're all feeling it uh, here. Um, if you and and this was this guy lit up a room. He was the kindest, sweetest uh, person, and you just you never know. So reach out uh, and be there and listen and punch up. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and I I know like I didn't know him personally at all. He is significantly higher above me, um, but just the impact that it has on everyone in the comedy community because it's it's such a he yeah like you've seen him perform and like you said he's just incredible and people talk about him preaching positivity constant constantly too and everyone knew he had mental health problems and everything but like his closest friends seem to just still be baffled by it so it's it's just really sad. Yeah, this show uh, is uh, dedicated to him. So, Brody, fair winds, following seas, we will miss you. And again, be kind to each other. We will see you next time. I've been AG. I've been Jaleesa Johnson. I've been Jordan Coburn. And this is Muller She Wrote. Muller She Wrote is produced and engineered by AG with editing and logo design by Jaleesa Johnson. Our marketing consultant and social media manager is Sarah Lee Steiner, and our subscriber and communications director is Jordan Coburn. Fact-checking and research by AG, and research assistance by Jaleesa Johnson and Jordan Coburn. Our merchandising managers are Sarah Lee Steiner and Sarah Hirschberger Valencia. Our web design and branding are by Joelle Reeder with Moxie Design Studios, and our website is MullerSheWrote.com. Season four of How We Win is here. For the past four years, we've been making history in critical elections all over the country. And last year, we made history again by expanding our majority in the Senate, eating election-denying Republicans in crucial state house races, and fighting back a non-existent red wave. But the MAGA Republicans who plotted and pardoned the attempted overthrow of our government now control the House thanks to gerrymandered maps and repressive anti-voter laws. And the chaotic spectacle we've already seen shows us just how far they will go to seize power, dismantle our government, and take away our freedoms. So the official podcast of The Persistence is back with season four. There's so much more important work ahead of us to fight for equity, justice, and our very democracy itself. 
We'll take you behind the lines and inside the rooms where it happens with strategy and inspiration from progressive changemakers all over the country. And we'll dig deep into the weekly news that matters most and what you can do about it with messaging and communications expert, co-founder of Way to Win, and our new co-host, Jennifer Fernandez Ancona. So join Steve and I every Wednesday for your weekly dose of inspiration, action, and hope. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Jennifer Fernandez Ancona. And And this this is is How We Win. MSW Media. I'm Frances Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. You know what you need in your life? Hmm. The Final Word Podcast. Yes, you do. That's right. It is the final word on all things political and pop cultural. Where we make real news real funny. Where we inspire you so you can hashtag resist. Subscribe and get a new episode of The Final Word Podcast each week. It's the news we think you need to hear. That's right. We think you need to hear it. Okay. Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give. 